You're listening to episode 50 of the Broken Glass Podcast, Finding the Space to Create with Hannah Judson. You're listening to the Broken Glass Podcast, a podcast with a mission to highlight women in the music industry through their stories, from their successes to their trials and tribulations. We'll share tools and resources available to you to make your music dream job come to life or to start that business you've always wanted to own. But most of all, you'll be a part of the Broken Glass community where we support and encourage each other and open the doors to working in music. I'm your host, Christy Jacobson, entrepreneur, music lover, wonderluster, and dreamer. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Broken Glass Podcast. Today, I have Hannah Judson with me. She is an internationally touring American-French singer-songwriter based between Paris and San Francisco. So welcome to the podcast, Hannah. Well, thank you, Christy. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I am so glad to have you here. Um, You're our first international artist, so I'm I'm very excited to chat with you about your your experiences touring, you know, um, not only, you know, in the U.S., but in, uh, in Europe as well. Um, but let's kind of just dive right into it. So just tell me, you know, what you're doing right now. Um, and then we'll, we'll go back a little bit. Okay. That sounds good. So it's so weird. Like what I'm doing right now is sort of coming out of this era of this quarantine that we've been, been under. And so I know that's not really talking about music, but it does, it does relate. Um, in France, we were, I think in the U.S., we were, you were like a week or two behind us in France in terms of going, getting locked down. But here they took the lockdown very seriously, and we, we locked down on a Tuesday, and we were really not allowed out. And so if you did, if you did have to go to the doctor or groceries or a very specific thing, you had to have a form with you and your ID with you, and you had to be prepared to show that. Um, Although we were allowed to go outside for a walk or a jog once a day for one hour or less for one kilometer or, or less away from your house. So you had to stay within a, a one kilometer radius. And during this lockdown, when it first happened, I thought, okay, this is, this is something I can handle. This is, you know, I, I'm, I'm an introvert, extrovert. I both, but I, I, I swim both ways. And so I'm perfectly happy being home alone, doing things alone. I like making things. I like reading. I've got all these introvert kind of personality sides to my personality. And I thought this is going to work out well. It's going to be like creative camp for me. I'm going to get all my creative stuff done. And, and it's really weird because that didn't happen. Although I, I did keep playing my, playing my guitar. I did a bunch of live streams. I was involved um, with, uh, an online music festival and a couple other things. And I experimented with live streaming more. Uh, I just took the opportunity to experiment, but I did not feel particularly creative. And as time went on, even though I was in my, I had my studio at home and I have my things I like to do here at home. It just, I felt like I was sort of in a fog. Like it really was not a straight line. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, the most creative era I've ever I've ever been in. Um, but today I had I got together with uh, my bandmates and we had our first meeting um, since since uh, the lockdown. And I'll tell you, it felt really good to play music with live musicians <laughs> with with you know people I know, friends, and it felt good to sort of be back to some level of normalcy. Although it's certainly not normal yet, but 
Yeah, so that's, so that's where I am right now is sort of re-entry into life. Um, with, uh, in, in the spring of this year, I released a record, Stingray, and we'll probably be talking about that. And so one thing I have been working on during the lockdown is um, marketing aspects to the record release and working with Spotify and doing ver various tasks around uh, PR and, and all of that. So, uh, but that's definitely not the creative stuff. Yeah, I think we all kind of went through that. Like I was really excited. I'm, you know, complete introvert and I was excited to be home and I'm, I'm going to learn, you know, how to do all this and I'm going to write, I'm going to work on the business, but then you have those ups and downs, right? Where it's, you know, I, I haven't written, like, I, I don't write music, but I, I write, you know, articles or, or just write to get things out. And that hasn't happened for me. And it's, it's easy to just be so hard on yourself and just say, you know, yeah. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't get these done. And, and, but at the same time, it's, it's a totally unprecedented situation. We've never been through something like this before. It's one thing if you put yourself into isolation away from people to do work, but when you're forced into it, you can't go out. Like luckily in LA, we, I've been able to, you know, I can go out for walks any time of the day. Um, I can go out to the store. There's just certain things that I can't do and I, we can't gather. Um, we, we definitely didn't have it as hard as, you know, um, you guys did or, or in other countries, but you know, it, it's, we just get so hard on ourselves. Right. And, and I've heard a lot of people be like, I, you know, I didn't get anything done and, and I can't be creative. And it's like, that's okay. You know, take, take your time and you know, it, it will happen. Yeah. So it's interesting, this thing about creativity that Creativity, I think often, for those of us who are just sort of busy, do, you know, I, I hate that word busy, but I don't know how else to describe yeah. it. You've got a lot going on. You've got, you've got to make the money. You've got to take care of the stuff. You know, there's things that need, need to be taken care of on a daily, weekly basis. There's stuff going on, and you sort of fight for the time to get in there and to do your creative work, you know, and, and your creative work can be anything, but it's that thing that feels right when you're doing it. It's the problems that you give yourself to solve um, with the resources that you have, whether it's music or writing or painting or wh whatever it is. And it, it's like creativity is such, there's such a drive to be creative, right? I mean, I think there's some people are very naturally creative and they, they move in that direction. And, but there are a lot of people who might think that they're not creative, but they've got that drive too. That it's just maybe a little sleepy or whatever, but I think it's mm -hmm. part of being human. But my, my, thought was when you with what you were just talking about is like why do we not feel creative when we've got the time and the space but there's other stuff going on so creativity also comes out of the fact that you're leaving your busy life and you're creating this I don't want to say sacred space but maybe it is maybe there's a better way to say it but you are sort of fighting for a little bit of space to get in there and and solve your problems and have this creative experience in contrast to your daily life. And maybe one of the problems with the lockdown is that the contrast was removed. I don't know. Right. I'm just closing. That, might oh, that makes sense. Like and, then, and then there's the other layer of all the worry and mm -hmm. concern. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, for me, it's trying to keep up with friends and family. How's everybody doing? you know, how, how are, how are we handling it? Are you guys safe? And, and I have friends in, um, 
in New Jersey, close to New York, which New York yeah. was the hardest hit oh. in the U.S. So it's been worried about them and how they're doing. And you know, luckily, my family's in areas where they weren't hit as hard. But you know, I've got some of my best friends are there, and it's it's that worry too, and um, that that prevents, at least for me, that kind of prevents the the creative creative part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. And then, but I think, I think about uh, creativity that does, that does get taken place in dark days. There are people who experience all sorts of extreme, extreme circumstance and, and do end up making art of one form or another. I'm thinking off the top of my head, I think about prisoners who make art, or I think about Anne Frank who wrote a book, who wrote, you know, she wrote her diary. Mm -hmm. um, there are many, there are many sort of wartime stories of people you know, coming up with their, with their expression. I'm just, I'm just sort of figuring it out myself. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a tortured answer. I'm just, I'm just yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, I've seen, we've seen all the talk show hosts and um, who was it? Uh, oh, John Krasinski started a, a YouTube series called some good news. So we do see it, it happening for people and yeah. Um, it's just, I think it's, it's each individual on a personal level, you know, how you handle that. But my, I feel like for me, at least my creativity is starting to flow again. I started reading a lot. So that's really helped me think about my writing and, um, you know, it's just yeah. how I, how I had to spur that on. Definitely. Yeah. 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 So let's, let's kind of talk about, I, I'd love to know how you, you started in music, how you got to kind of where you are now. So can you just chat a little bit about your your background in the music industry so i um i've always been involved in music in one one way or another so i've always had an instrument that has accompanied me through through life but i didn't start songwriting until i graduated from college and actually my first paycheck out of college i was living in portland maine uh i had been temping for an insurance company i got my first paycheck and then i went to um, guitar store in Portland, Maine, and bought myself a guitar. And that's what, that was the instrument I'd always really wanted. So, uh, and I bought also a Bob Dylan songbook, and I went home, I taught myself some Bob Dylan songs that I knew, and I took those chords, and I moved them around, and different, and I wrote my own songs. And I, I, I do play covers from time to time, because there's just songs that I like and love, and I'm like, oh, I think I'll try that song. But I really like to write songs. It's something that makes so much sense to me, songs, like, um, songs that tell stories and songs that maybe are a little surreal, but songs that play with words and that create sort of uh, an emotional environment. Songs make a lot of sense to me. And I, I really, I've always loved songs. The fact that people sing songs, it's such a, it's a basic thing. And I love rock and I love um, folk music and all sorts of, all sorts of different kinds of music. Um, but in all the genres that I like, the things that I like the most are the songs. Um, so anyway, but that, but, but about my background, so, so I, I initially had studied art history and painting, and I was painting a lot and doing songwriting on the side. And as I moved through time, the, that sort of flipped, and I just began painting less and doing music more. Um, after college, I lived in Spain for a couple of years, and while I was there, I studied Spanish classical guitar. And from there, I moved to Chicago to go to grad school at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And 
for painting. <laughs> and I started, I formed a band. I was like, I want to form a band. And so I bought my first electric guitar. I learned how to play it. I mean, I taught myself a few things. Um, and I, I formed my first band, Salt Lick, while I was a student at the School of the Art Institute. And at that time, this was in the 90s in Chicago, it was such a wonderful environment to be exploring music in. There were so many cool venues from the most rundown, rickety, old, you know, smelly little venues, like, like tucked away in a corner here or a corner there, to venues that were a little bit more spruced up. But there was a feeling in Chicago in the 90s of, of things being um, organic, that the music scene was happening organically and that it wasn't um, entirely self-conscious. I don't know, I don't know well, maybe, maybe that's not the word, but that it was really just coming from a place of the need to make music because that's that, that really is part of the history of Chicago and it's wonderful. So, so I was, the whole time I lived in Chicago, I always had a band going, one form or another. And I, um, let's see, at a certain point, so, so I was, so that's really where I got my start, playing in Chicago clubs. And at, at a certain point, we decided to move to France. And at that point in time, I thought perhaps my music career, if you could call it that, which had been very local, local to Chicago, maybe this is over now. I wasn't sure because I thought maybe I'm not going to meet people in, in France. I wasn't sure how it was going to go. But we did ship over a couple, we shipped over a little box of stuff that included two of my amps and a couple of my guitars. But the rest of my equipment, I sold all my equipment. We sold all our furniture. We, we really sold everything. We came over here with not a lot. Um, and initially, when we first moved to France, there was a lot of work just getting settled in. There's so many details in a new country. You know, we have to, even if you speak the language a little bit, you, there's a lot of, of words you need to learn you know, when you go to the town hall to register for this, you have to go to this other place to register for that. There's a lot of paperwork involved. And there's just a lot of just sort of figuring things out. But after about not six to nine months, we were here for a while, I just pulled out my acoustic guitar one day and I started strumming it and humming. I didn't even have any songs in me to sing. I didn't even, I couldn't even remember my old songs. And I started humming some things and what was coming out was pretty different from what I had done before. And I just jotted them down and I started songwriting again, but it was really and truly like starting over. And I, the songs were very laid back and mellow and I recorded them on my laptop, which was brand new to me. I hadn't done any recording of my own. And I started layering tracks and doing different things. And a producer in Paris, a friend of mine sent them to a friend of hers who sent them. So the, these tracks I'd made made the rounds and a producer in Paris heard them. And he contacted me and he was like, let's do something. So we started working together and he recorded my first solo album, uh, Underbelly, in 2011. And we, we did a bunch of concerts in Paris around that, around that record. Uh, and then from there, so I was working with the band uh, around that record, but I was also playing solo still. Um, and then after that, I started, I was always playing in Paris as much as possible, but then I like, I went to England and I did shows in Holland and Germany and Belgium. And I would do these like little 
mini tours. I would, I would organize weekends that would loop out and loop back. So usually three gigs. Um, and that's the nice thing about being in Europe is that you can travel ground pretty quickly. So you can go, you can do a gig that's like um, Brussels, Amsterdam, Utrecht, and then back home, <laughs> these little, these little circles. So after a while, I decided, I, I felt that I didn't want to play in Paris anymore, that I'd sort of made the rounds um, for a while and that I needed to go back to the US. And so this was a couple of years ago. I, I spent some time in California and I just did a, I, I organized a show, a, show, a tour um, that, that went from San Diego to Seattle and I just went up and down the coast and the following, and, and that year I also did something similar on the East Coast. And that was my plan was to do East Coast and West Coast every year, but things have happened and it's certainly not happening this year. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And I, you know, I was in Europe last summer and I, that was the coolest thing was just being able to travel so easily. Uh -huh. And you don't get that in the U.S. really. I mean, you know, each, each coast you have, you do have trains, but it's, it's, you know, we, we didn't have a car. It was so easy to just, you know, hop on a train, get on a bus and then you could be there. So that's really cool. And, um, you know, I've, I've always wanted to take in the, the music scene in Europe. How, how different is that from the U S or is it very similar? You know, that's a really good question. I, there are aspects of the music scene in that, that are very similar. Like for example, Festivals are really big. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of music festivals in the summer, as there are in the U.S. So that you know, big big events are really uh, popular and um, you know part of part of the scene. I feel, and I could be wrong. You might, you know, there there may be people who disagree with me, but I feel that in American cities like Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Minneapolis, um, Kansas City, even like there's so many cities in the U.S. that have interesting music scenes because there are these centers of innovation, which are usually a bar or a club uh, that really that, that pulls people together and that that the music scenes as commercial as they have gotten in the U.S., there's always a sense of an organic um, vibe about it. And I feel like that's kind of missing in Europe. Like Paris is a beautiful city. It is a lovely city. And there are, there are some really interesting music venues here. But that rough, gritty, interesting vibe, that doesn't really exist very much. There are some, in Paris, there are quite a few jazz clubs that might be sort of vibey, but it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. And, and, it, and it doesn't come out of a place of innovation. Doesn't, I think uh, that and that I think that you do get more innovation in in England and um, the in Great Britain and uh, in the U.S. I, I do I, sh I feel like I shouldn't say this too loudly. I feel like <laughs> somebody might hear me say this, but I just do. Um, music in France is derivative, and they are looking to other people to tell them what to do. And I think, of course, that there's a lot of that in the U.S. also, but there's a lot of people, and I, I guess, and I will definitely say in Great Britain also, where we, have, where you know, punk came out of Great Britain. Punk mm -hmm. came out of people saying, you know what, f this, I'm doing, I'm going to do what I can do, um, with with the instruments that I have, with the skill level that I have, and I've got things to say, and I'm doing it, and I love that. Like I mm -hmm. love 
that um, drive to to make something with what you have. And that's one thing that I really love about, you know, punk, the original punk, real, not sort of like suburban derivative punk. Right. <laughs> but we also have that drive in the U.S. in various scenes. And you see it in folk music and you see it in rock and you see it, you certainly see it in blues um, where people are working with what they've got and making great music. Yeah, that, that's interesting, that, just that contrast. Um, yeah. you, you, you mentioned festivals and I kind of wanted to bring up, um, you founded a music festival, if I'm correct, called MuseFest? Yeah. So MuseFest, yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, so can you tell me more about it and kind of how it came about and, and what it what it usually is? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this year because of yeah. all the, what's going on, it's not going to happen, but it, you know, I, I read up a little bit about it, but I'd love to just kind of hear more and how, how, it, how it works. Well, so, so MuseFest has only been two editions, and then there was a gap of a few years, and then I was cranking up to do it again this year. But so MuseFest was an idea I had a while ago to organize a festival of women, to amplify excellent women in music and art um, and film. And so I, I uh, produced the first festival in London with a colleague of mine, um, and we focused on women in music, short films, and projected art. And so we designed it, so we were doing this on a budget of zero. We had, you know, we were really, again, working with what we had. And we put together a one evening event that, that interspersed um, live acts, uh, short films, and projected art. And it was a really cool event. And we thought, you know, we are definitely onto something. And, but I'll tell you, putting a festival together is labor intensive. It is, especially as we were, we had call for artists, we were reviewing films, we were working with massive, massive um, file sizes um, and, and putting on a, a very professional front, like a lot of people are doing these days, but just, uh, um, you know, really being the two of us and asking for volunteers. We definitely had uh, a group of, of excellent volunteers that helped us produce a thing. So the second year we decided to do it again in Paris. And the, the concept was that we were going to do it in a different location each year, which is a lot of work. But so we did it in Paris again, and it had a completely different vibe to it. But we kept the same format. One evening, so the evening starts rather, rather than breaking it up into multiple days, um, and this year, the, the plan was to, we, we had made arrangements to embed ourselves within the Los Angeles Fashion Festival. Um, and so we were going to have an evening within that festival and which was good, which was going to be a nice dovetailing of our two different audiences and missions and everything. And anyway, that festival has been canceled and I have thought about perhaps doing a festival online, a live stream festival, um, which would be a ton of work. Uh, and I, I just need to, I need to decide uh, if there is value there for people, for, for uh, the participants and for, um, and, and for the audience. I think people may be a little live streamed out right now. Um, so I, I want to spend some time thinking about if we did do if we did do some kind of virtual event this year, what would make it important? What would make it worthwhile? Right. Rather than just live streaming everybody on YouTube, I'm not sure. I did participate 
um, this year, Left Bank Media in New York organized, like within days of lockdown, they organized a six day festival of music and culture. So it was music and poetry. Uh, it was mostly music, but there were, there were readings in there too. And it was phenomenal. It was such a huge effort. And the, with a lot of you know technology to coordinate, like getting everybody over to their YouTube channel, logging in, performing. And it was off, for many people, it was the first time they had done a live stream. So I thought, uh, I thought, you know, there are victories to be, to be had, um, even though everybody is live streaming. I, I think, I think it's, it's the medium we've got right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's the only way right now that we can kind of, we can gather. Um, I, I know when, when we first, you know, shut down, I, I, was so excited. All my favorite artists were, were doing live streams. And I feel like in the last um, maybe three weeks or so, I've kind of slipped off watching them and they've, you know, backed off. There was, um, it was Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie the first couple of weeks he was doing every single day. And then it kind of got to the point where he had to just stop because he was running out of songs and, and now it's, it's here or there he's doing them. Yeah. I think people, people didn't realize how long this was going to be. They thought it was only going to be a couple of short weeks. So let's, let's do this. And now people are really have to pace themselves, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and you made a good point about providing value to the audience because what's going to bring them in, what's going to bring them to you rather than to somebody else or to some, something else in their environment, whether it's, I don't know, Netflix or, <laughs> or, yeah. um, you know, board games with the family, or, you know, it, it, you really have to, to think of that in that kind of that business standpoint of, of the value proposition and, and what, what are, what's the audience going to take from it? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, it would be great if, if to be able to recreate that people are not just sitting in their, in their living rooms or wherever in their house, uh, live streaming, but that there is more contact between the audience. And with some live streaming with, with um, you know, Facebook, you, you can have a chat going, but it would be great if, to, to design programs where there was more interactivity among the audience, around yeah. people who know or, know or don't know each other. Right, yeah. And it, it's interesting too, because it's, it sounds like it would be different um, I don't know if medium is the right word, but between music and, and film and different, um, different aspects of, of the creative industries, you know, and how do you, you keep people in, engaged between all of those too? Cause it's one thing to have someone who's really interested in music be there, but then are they interested in film and, and, and no, I guess knowing your audience too, right. Really knowing who you're targeting and who you're bringing in. And yeah. it's, it's definitely an interesting thought and, you know, it's, I, there's different things I've seen with the Facebook chat and, and that, but um, I know there's inst Instagram, which I don't know if, if that would be a, a viable solution but, or option, but they, they allow, you know, you can bring somebody on and that would be kind of cool if there was a way you could bring people on, like to ask questions or, or, you know, have right. them connect somehow. Um, right. Just, so just like brainstorming. <laughs> Yeah, I know. This is, this is great. This is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Well, well, it's interesting, this conversation we're having, because a lot of people are having these conversations right now, like, okay, we're seeing these new tools, even though they were here before, but they're in constant evolution. 
and we've got this new situation and what are we going to do with it? And uh, yeah, Instagram, I, I, I should experiment more with Instagram. In yeah. Terms of <laughs> yeah I, I haven't done the live myself, but I've seen other people bring, you know, people into the conversation, different artists have been connecting with each other um, to do like kind of a round table sort of thing and to, to, to chat um, and, and have the audience watch it. But it's, and I actually think they have a Q and a option too, or if you go live, you can like hit a button and then people can ask questions. And, um, but that's just from my observations, I'd really like to kind of play around with it. Um, I think you have to go live to do that, but <laughs> it'd be nice to just have a test environment and then test that. But there's, you know, I think a lot of people have adapted to technology and, you know, it might be easier, easier than we think. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, every so technology has its little hurdle and you have to just yeah. sort of charge over the hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Um, I'd like to, chat about your your recent release stingray you released that in march mm -hmm. um can you just tell me a little about the process behind behind the release um was it an independent release and, and how did you really go about doing that on your own if it was yeah so this is the third so i think I've, i think i've got five records behind me but this is the third um hannah judson record and it's the second record i had recorded in sacramento with um pepe espada the producer um, and so, so it's an independent record, um, uh, that, that is being released on my label and, uh, Espada's label, Boneyard Records. That be, being that, um, I was managing the, the release completely myself. And the tool that I've used for every release that I've done, um, has been CD Baby. Um, and so they, do you, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, CD Baby, but they are a distributor for independents, uh, independent musicians and independent labels. And they've been in the game um, the long, for a long time. I don't know if they are the oldest, but they are, they are innovators in the field of independent in distribution and services that have evolved around, around an independent uh, distribution make it really easy to release a single or to release uh, um, a record so i so i so far have not needed to find another company to, or another service to release my music so i use cd baby they they distribute it out to um all the digital platforms spotify deezer Apple Music, et cetera, et cetera, everywhere. So, so you don't have to worry about that at all. You don't have to sort of one by one go to all of those places. The other nice thing about distributing with CD Baby is that they, you go through their process and they make sure that you're doing it correctly. They make sure that you've included all the correct data for each, um, for each song. Um, and they have, they have sort of stages that you go through as you upload your music. Um, and they make sure, yeah. So it's so you're definitely not alone in the process because there there is a lot. There are some technical issues that you need to get right um, if you want to have your music tracked and if you want it to be released on Spotify and other places. So I use for the for the technical side of things. I use CD Baby and I recommend them. They've been great. 
Um, but then after that, then you've got marketing things, to, issues to think about. And um, I'm working with a, I'm, I'm working with a PR agency in Nashville, which is the, the first time I've done this. And that, that, that has been terrific. I've always handled my own PR. I've always written my own press releases and I have a huge database of people in the press. And it, I, I thought long and hard before doing this because I've always enjoyed doing my own press because I have my own contacts and I'm, I'm maintaining this database of, of contacts. But the thing is in, in when you're working with press is that contacts are changing constantly and it really is a ton of work. And I just thought this time, if I could find the right person to work with who I trust, um, it just takes a whole level of, uh, of work off, off your plate. So I'm working with, with um, and, and I recommend, I recommend doing your own PR for a while uh, so that you understand what it is and you understand what it means to set your own goals and to, and you also understand how hard it is. I think that it is somebody who doesn't, who hasn't had experience doing their own PR, they might have unrealistic expectations of what, of what can happen when you work with um, a company or with an agency. So, so that's been great. I've been working with them. I've been focusing on Spotify as the main, um, platform that I want to uh, sort of um, tend to. Um, there are a lot of, there are a ton of service, I'm making air quotes right now, you can't see that, but there are tons <laughs> of services out there for artists to, to put down money, to get people to, uh, you know, pay me and I'll put you, I'll get you on these playlists and pay me and I guarantee you'll get 10,000 this or 10,000 that, you know, listeners or, or streams. And, but the, the truth is, I think that you want to, ha you want to have um, an orga organic listeners. You want to have listeners who are really listening to you so I don't think it's a good idea to inflate your numbers. I've never th thought, you know, I've, I've known people who have bought, have bought um, Facebook likes and Instagram followers. And I just, I've never thought that's a good idea because at the end of the day, you don't have anything. You just, you have right. a data point and but you don't have actual uh, people who care. <laughs> and the, and they exactly. are the people who are going to buy your t-shirts or who are going to tell their friend. And, and at the end of the day, what are you doing? Like, What's the goal of what you're doing? And my goal with what I'm doing is to, is to continue to have my creative life, to continue to have an output, and to continue to build uh, a network of, of fans, if you want to use that word, but of, of people who are interested, who are like, you know what, you know, who, who, who like my slightly quirky, wordy uh, stories and want to hear more. That's what I'm looking for. And I would rather have a handful of real people than, than a huge number that's just paid for. So exactly. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard the, the saying, um, you, you, it's better to have one, you know, a thousand true followers than a million, you know, or a thousand, a thousand true fans than to have a million followers. Right. Yeah. Because what it comes down to is, is who's going to purchase, who's going to talk about you, you know, it's right. not that random person that 
you know, your the like was bought, right? It's it's you know, and maybe for some people in the industry, they want to see huge numbers, but it's more than numbers. And I think if I remember correctly, that Instagram was going to start taking away like likes and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. so you don't have that, that visual. Um, and, and I think, I mean, it's great to see who likes your, your work and what you're posting, but at the same time, you know, it's, I truly believe in authenticity and it sounds like you and I are on the same page with that and who's authentic, who's true. Um, and, and just telling your story, you know, it's the people who want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you made a good point too. Um, I always kind of going back a little bit to, to hiring somebody to help you with your, your PR. Um, I, I love the idea of, artists and, and whoever knowing every little piece of what what they do and what what's involved in building their career and and the business and understanding it um i think it's so important that you understand how everything works yeah. and then once you understand how it works hiring somebody for something that maybe isn't your strong point or maybe something that you don't like or that you just don't have time for and and really outsourcing that but understanding what it is they're doing. You made a great point with that. Like work on it on your own, understand it. And then, you know, when you hire somebody out, you, you could hire somebody and be like, oh, they're definitely not doing the right thing. They're not doing what I want them to do. And you understand that. Whereas if you just hired somebody, you know, from the very beginning, you're not going to know if what that's right or wrong, or if it's right. what you want or what you don't want. It's just, it's very, it comes very arbitrary at that point. So I think that's great that you, you really took the time to understand PR and to make those connections, but you know, you've had, now you've hired somebody who, who can help you with that and you can focus on maybe something else with your career, your music. That's the thing is there are only so many hours in a week and I was finding in January of this year, um, well, actually let me backtrack. I, uh, a couple years ago, I started, um, an MBA program in music management at it was through Southern New Hampshire University, which is all online, and Berkeley College of Music. So the, the two programs dovetailed. The business courses came through from Southern New Hampshire, and the music management mm-hmm. courses came through Berkeley. And I did that program one, one online course at a time and loved it. It was really interesting. I learned all sorts of things I had no idea about, and it was interesting for me. Also, I had to take math classes, and I, which <laughs> I haven't done in years, and other things too. So it was, a, it was a good exercise, and I learned a lot. And so going through the program, uh, it really, the program was divided into three cycles. And in, in the end of the first cycle, you start putting together a business plan. And so I was working on this business plan throughout the, that program. And I was keeping track of my own ideas, my own business ideas, my own record release ideas. And actually during that program, I, in the middle of it, I was releasing an earlier record, um, Becoming. That was in 2017. 2018. And I uh, had a long list of actions to take during a a record release. And so I had spreadsheets and databases and things I'd been working on. And I finished up my program first week of January this year. And I was getting ready to start the record release for Stingray. And I thought, perfect, I'm done with my schoolwork. And now I can just focus on this. And I took, I just looked at all of these spreadsheets I had and I was so overwhelmed. I just thought, 
and I would just focus on one, one task, you know, in all of the things that you're supposed to do before to prepare for your record release. And I just got really bogged down and I, I was getting things done, but they, there was just too much on my list. And that was, that was part, one of the reasons why I was like, I need help and, and actual help. I don't, it wasn't like I wanted help because I didn't want to do these things. I wanted help because I didn't have enough time. Yeah. Yeah. Time is, you know, it's, it's so, it's so important. And, and, you know, that way you can focus on what you, you know, your music and the other, other pieces of it and you're not spread so thin. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the key. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit here, um, we're kind of coming towards the end. Um, the, the podcast, I like to highlight, you know, the w- women's stories, how they got to where they are, but we also do talk about, um, you know, the struggles that we have in the industry, whether it's even just getting, you know, your foot in the door, which that was my, my biggest struggle. Um, or if, if there's any resistance that women come across being a female in the industry. Um, so I'm just curious, did you ever have any kind of resistance as a female artist, um, or as an artist in general, and how did you overcome that resistance? That is such a good question. I have to say, so I grew up in the seventies and I grew up under the impression that women's lib lib had happened and that we were just, that everything was done and that we were just moving forward. And it took me forever to realize that it, that that was not true and that I didn't understand a lot of the things that I had experienced. And in retrospect, I have come across so many um, situations that, that are just, um, were more difficult because I was either being treated uh, uh, less seriously um, or just was being slotted into a category. So there's like all of music and then there's chick music or, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, Anyway, Um, there were many, many venue uh, bills that I played on where I was the only woman on the whole lineup. And even to this day, when I'm perusing and looking at, at, at record labels, sometimes you go, you look at a record label and you look at all their acts and you're like, there's no women here or there'll be one. And mm-hmm. I find that bizarre. I think that is weird unless your record label is for men only or something. <laughs> but, you know, women are producing, you know, theoretically 50% of the music. So you, you wonder. But I think, I, I wish I had been savvier about what was actually happening because... I just accepted everything as it is and just took, took a lot of things as sort of like my own personal failure. Like, you know, I, I just sort of assumed that I wasn't getting anywhere because it was my work wasn't worthy or, I mean, that might've been a, a thought in my head or a feeling about it. But I do think that, that it, women in music need to fight harder you need to fight hard because there are fewer places for women. In fact, that was one of the reasons why um, my colleague Zeb and I started MuseFest was because she had read, she lives in London, and she had read a a report in the UK that something like 7% of of the um, contract, of of a particular kind of contract in in the UK uh, goes, the number was 7% goes to women out of 100%. Uh, these were, were music contracts. It, it wasn't a record. It was funding. It had to do with getting music right. funding. So women were not getting the music funding. And we were like, that's crazy. 
that was in 2015. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even re- there's been recent reports, um, music festivals too. You know, yeah. the 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 percentage of women, female acts to to male acts is, you know, and I think a lot of there are some festivals, and you know, I think your festival is amazing that it it, it brings women of all creative aspects together but you know there's festivals out there where it's you see maybe one female artist and she's only there because she's a big act right right yeah Yeah, it's it's crazy it is crazy and it requires a lot of hustle and you do have to be in overdrive hustling and and i think it also requires not agreeing with it like being okay with being disagreeable. Like I disagree that it is okay that the music industry has taken this particular um, track. And I think it's time for change. And I think that things really are changing right now. Everything has been sort of, everything is up for grabs right now, I think. So this is a good moment in in time, even though, even though we're in a slightly bad moment (laughs) with the the (laughs) epidemic, but, but bigger picture, we'll see. Yeah, but I think it's great. There's a lot of groups out there and you know, your your festival is one of them that bring women together and highlight their stories and, and allow them to c- collaborate and to connect with each other. And I think there's a lot more awareness of it now. Um, I actually started my blog and the podcast because of a, a report that came out of USC and it was a study on inclusion in the recording studio. And it, it just, I read through that and it was just it was eye-opening the number of female producers and, and, and women in the industry in various aspects. And it wasn't just, it wasn't even just gender too. It was based on ethnicity and and all that. And it was, like I said, it was eye-opening and I think it it opened a lot of people's eyes too. And then that same year, I think it was a month later, it was the Grammy awards and it was only one female artist that won on the broadcast. Mm -hmm. And I think that was, that was kind of a lot of momentum for our industry too. And that prompted me to get involved and to, to find groups. And I found a couple of great Facebook groups of, of women in the industry connecting with each other and, and how can I help you? And, and let's, let's collaborate on this. And I think it's, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done, but I think there's a lot of people that are, okay, this, you know, we need more equality. And I've actually, I have said this before on the podcast, I've been very lucky in my career that I've had a lot of great male supporters, people who are just, who don't see, who don't even see me, you know, they, they just see, see me as either an employee that works really hard or, you know, somebody who's, who wants to make a difference. They don't see, you know, gender. They're just like, okay, you, you work hard, you know, yeah. and, and they recognize, they recognize the, the determination and, and the talent rather than you know, what, what race you are, what gender you are. And I think we need a lot more of that for sure. Yeah, for sure. I like what you mentioned about, you know, Facebook and, um, and, and not Facebook per se, but meeting people and being connected to people who are thinking similarly, who are getting together. And I think that that's like a key thing right now is to, is to join groups or at least be aware of your actual network. Um, because you, your greatest allies might not be in music. You might, you know, they may be in other fields mm-hmm. that may be super supportive of you or of this, you know, this situation. And Yeah. And 
I've actually been part of a, a networking group in Los Angeles. Um, it's called Brunch Work, which it's really cool. Like you, you go, you have brunch, and then they bring in different speakers from across tech and, and creative. So it's, cool. you know, you could have somebody from, you know, I don't know, say Spotify, and then you could have somebody from you know, a venture capitalist or, you know, somebody, it really combines industries. And mm-hmm. I think that's great because, you know, I've gone to events of theirs where it's not music at all. It's, it may be film, it might be um, some kind of tech or, or, you know, an online creative agency or something. It's just, you know, it's, it's very different, but I've met people there who are different aspects. And if you think about our industry, it's not just music, right? Especially today it's design and, and you gotta, you need somebody who's in marketing and, and it really combines a whole bunch of different industries. And, you know, you make really great connections in, in those kinds of groups. So it's, they're, they're out there. You just have to, to go find them. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds uh-huh. like a great group. I like that idea. Of, I, I like the idea of lectures or, you know, actually meeting people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty cool. Cause then at the end, so they'll do brunch, they do the speakers and then they'll do, um, if there's time, they do an audience challenge. So you get into groups, you're assigned a number and then you they give you a prompt and you have to craft a pitch or something. So you have to, you get a, it could be a product, it could be a service, it could be a company or or something to disrupt a certain industry. And then you get about a half hour to work on it with your group and then you have to pitch it. So it's pretty cool because you get to then work with people. Yeah. And and get that experience of, hey, I don't know you, but we have to come up with this product in 30 minutes and now pitch it to somebody. So it's, it's pretty cool. And there's, um, you know, I'm sure there's other groups out there that do that. That's just the one that, that I was able to find in in LA here and join. Um, but it, it, you know, you, you creates a support network for you. So, um, it's, it's pretty cool. But, um, so wrapping up here a little bit, um, you know, I know you mentioned earlier that you're starting to, to play with your band again. Um, once we start to get back to some kind of a normalcy, I guess, is there anything that you're looking forward to? Are you hoping to go on tour soon? Or once we can start playing live shows again? Or Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I had, in January, I was sort of booking my tours for this year, and one by one, all of those shows have been taken off, have been canceled. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to coming back to California and doing shows and going to the East Coast where I'm from. I'm from Maine. I grew up in Maine, but I've got some people up and down from New York to Maine. And I I like to just sort of loop around with my guitar and (laughs) see friends (laughs) and do shows. Um, That, I'm looking forward to having that part of my life back on on the map. Um, And local shows are also fun. I think it's no matter where you live, I think it's important if you, well, for me, I, I think it's important to play live. So I like doing local shows here too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, Muse Fest needs to come, I need to pull a Muse Fest together and bring that back um, into play one way or another. I'm working on some videos to accompany Stingray and uh, video is something I, I've just always been a little bit lazy about doing and sort of relied on live, live, you know, my friends making videos for me or whatever, but I, I need to put some videos together and put some effort into it because uh, it's important to get your music on YouTube 
So it has to mm-hmm. be in video format. So that's something I'm working on. Um, and that takes time because I'm just slow at it. Uh, putting the storyboards together, finding, finding the graphics, making, making or finding the video and, um, and editing. So that's something I'm working on. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I, I love to, um, to kind of hear how MuseFest works out for you. That's for sure. And, um, yeah, so two more questions here. Um, are there any resources you'd recommend for other women, um, looking to get started in the industry, either as an artist or, I don't know, even if they want to put together, you know, something like a small festival, something like that. You know, I feel like the best resources are people. Like, for example, when I decided to do MuseFest, I'd read an article in The New Yorker about a woman who had put together a similar thing called Tinderbox, a Tinderbox festival in New York for, mm-hmm. for a handful of years. Um, uh, and I, her name is, um, I'm forgetting her name off the top of my head, but anyway, um, I, I wrote her an email. I, I looked up and wrote her an email and I was like, I'm thinking of designing a festival. This is what I've got. Can we, can I call you? And she was so great. And we, um, she sort of coached me through a, a, a lot of the things that came up during, um, the, our first news fest. And I'm, I'm stumbling because I'm like, I can't believe I can't remember her name much. She's like a friend of mine <laughs> at this point. But anyway, but regardless, uh, Tinderbox was a festival. And um, yeah, so I think reaching out to people who know things that you need to know um, is probably the most proactive way to get where you're going. Yeah, that's great. And just, just finding, I say it too, finding your tribe, finding the people who can help yeah. you with everything. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. Last question before we go here. Um, where can my audience find and connect with you, find your music? Yeah. So um, everything I, I, I my, my main, uh, my main place is my website, hannahjudson.com. That's H-A-N-N-A-H-J-U-D-S-O-N.com. Um, and from there, I've got all of my links, but Spotify is where I'm uploading my music. And um, so definitely look for me on Spotify. Um, Stingrays on Spotify, plus a bunch of my old records. Um, and uh, also I'm on Instagram. I'm under Hannah J underscore Muse, but you can find Hannah Judson on, on Instagram and of course Facebook and Twitter. All right. I'll be sure to link to all those in the show show notes that way everybody can find you listen to your music and and connect with you on social excellent well thank you yeah Yeah, you're welcome and thank you so much for coming on this podcast Uh, it was great to have you great to chat about i don't know everything and the differences between us and europe and and, um just to hear your story well thank you thank you for asking good questions and uh for listening yeah you're welcome Thank you for listening to the Broken Glass Podcast. If you like the show and want to know more, visit www.brokenglassmediallc.com, subscribe to the podcast, and don't forget to leave a review. Join me each week to hear new stories, learn all about the tools and resources available to you, and get tips for building a career in music. If you're interested in becoming part of a community of supportive women in music, join our secret community on Facebook at the Broken Glass Collective. 